All right, folks, welcome back to Colin Shots. This is Seth Partner. I'm joined today by a uh, longtime first-time Kings correspondent. How about that? Uh, I've been wanting to talk to talk to you and talk about the Kings for a couple of weeks now. Um, from uh, Kings Herald, Greg Wissinger. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm sorry that my, my jet set lifestyle and schedule has made it tough to, to schedule this, but... Well, I, that takes both of us. I had I had some work travel this week <laughs> myself, but yes. Um, so, um, recently I've been talk. I've had some guests on to talk about the Knicks and the Mavericks, and and tomorrow I'm having some folks on to talk about the Warriors. So uh, you are you are basically responsible for every uplifting bit of content that this show will provide, and you know over this festive period. So. Uh, the floor is yours to talk about the greatness of, of the 22, 23 Sacramento Kings. Yeah. I mean, where to begin? I mean, I was a little bit worried cause we were originally going to talk like last week and uh, the Kings have, you know, quite a bit of a, a road trip that they're just kind of finishing up. And I was kind of worried, like by the time I come on like, are the vibes going to still be good? But uh, we're recording this Thursday night uh, Wednesday night, the Kings had just an amazing, you know, kind of really tough win on the road in Toronto, uh, which kind of restored some of the good feelings and good vibes in the Sacramento Kings fan base. So it's perfect timing to come on because things are still good. The Kings are three games above, or, or uh, they're fifteen and twelve, so yeah, they're above five hundred. They're they're doing well. It's a great time and. Frankly, we don't know what to do in Sacramento. We're 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 trying to figure out how to handle this type of situation because it's it's been so long. And beyond that, it's um, I think we've we've seen teams have nice starts to the season and kind of fade away. This team is also playing good basketball. Doesn't whether or not they're a top whatever seed in the West, I'm not sure, but they're playing legitimately good basketball, so it doesn't feel fluky in the way that frankly, even like Utah at the start of the year did. And Utah's, I think a pretty good team, um, but, or, or some other teams that started well and have kind of faded away. It feels like this is just a, a good team that is, especially at the starting unit, well put together and playing good basketball. Yeah. I mean, it, it's easy to forget now, but the Kings actually started and four. Uh, so they had a bit of a rough start. So they've been 15 and eight since then. And, have really looked like a good team, a deep team, a, a team that's well coached and executes and plays together. And yeah, there's a lot of reason to believe that it is legitimate, which is a, a scary thing for us Kings fans. Like we've been burned before and, and we're as cautious a group as anyone, but uh, the Kings from the start before the season even started, the early part of their schedule was much rougher than kind of down the road. And, so even though the Kings are in the tough part of their schedule right now, they're still doing good and playing 500 basketball. And so there's a lot of reason for optimism that it can continue. You know, you never know what'll happen. It's a long season where in Sacramento, we know better than to count the eggs before they're hatched, but uh, there's a lot of good things. And if nothing else, it's been a really fun experience for us. And the Kings play a really fun brand of basketball right now. It's not like, it's just that they're winning, but they're winning and playing a game that's really fun to watch. I mean, high paced, high energy, good offense. You know, they can, they're not a great defensive team by any means, but they'll get some defensive stops or make a big defensive play when it counts. And it's just a lot of fun. 
So what is the biggest change from, I think the last couple of years, they've, the, the Kings have probably gone into the season. I mean, they've definitely gone into the season with expectations, um, at least kind of internally and as projected, I, I maybe some of the commentary at, uh, was, um, as you're alluding to, maybe uh, reliant on past history. So, yeah, it's funny. Funny you think you guys are, are making a playoff run this year. Uh, but so what? what's different this year so far than has been, you know, the last couple of years where safe to say they've been disappointing? I think it's a couple of different factors. Um, yeah, obviously the Sabonis trade was a big swing, and, and there's still a lot of debate over if it was the right move because Halliburton's a great player too. But – Sabonis really is the engine that drives the Kings offense. You know, he uh, is a big part of distributing the ball. His rebounding addressed a major issue for the Kings. And that doesn't get talked about a lot. The Kings were one of the worst offensive or one of the worst rebounding teams in the league. And now they're, they're decent. And a lot of that's just because he's one of the best rebounding bigs that are in the game right now. Uh, So him, the offensive movement, the Kevin Herter trade just kind of giving him extra shooting, Malik Monk shoring up the bench depth. But really, if I had to dial it down to one of the biggest differences, it's just got to be Mike Brown. Uh, they absolutely had to nail the coaching hire, and it seems like they did, which the Kings have been through a lot of coaches over the last 16 years of our playoff drought, and very rarely have they gotten it right. And Mike Brown has been a huge difference maker. He's been really focused on building a culture, which the Kings definitely have right now. The, the locker room, the, you know, just everything about the Kings is a cohesive team at the moment, which the Kings haven't been for a long time. And he just has them running an offense that utilizes their best players in their best ways. And he runs a defensive scheme that tries to help kind of cover up their issues. And it's been a long time since the Kings had a coach who actually tried to adapt what they're doing to their personnel and optimize them. And so it was just kind of that perfect hire at the right time. You know, he's got enough success, enough experience, enough pedigree that he can relate to players. He has an attention to detail and is a bit of a hard ass, but also the type of hard ass that players like and and respond to, as opposed to just a a coach Thibs who very quickly just grinds people down. Uh, So if I had to point to one big difference maker, it's got to be Mike Brown. Seems like the last time you can really think that you were happy with the coaching situation was Mike Malone. Is that fair? Um, I would say Dave Yeager as well. Um, Yeager's last year, there was a, a lot of good energy, and, and the Kings won like 39 games, which was their best season of the drought. But at the same time, there's – a lot about that season when we kind of look back that suggests it wasn't sustainable. It was very gimmicky and it seemed like the players were even starting to tune them out by the end of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Michael Malone was the biggest one and, and definitely, you know, the front office and ownership got too short sighted and got rid of him way too early. Uh, there were some good vibes with Jaeger, but, but definitely Mike Brown's hands down the best that they've had since Malone. I think that, that, and this is of a piece with with I, I you you tweeted out the the video from the locker room from last night's game, uh, or I think it might have been Dan Devine of of Yahoo actually, uh, noting that the vibes are an, are immaculate and it certainly seems that way. And it and you, you've talked about sort of the scheme and the X's and O's and stuff like that, but it's, there's a certain amount of joy that 
they're playing with. And I think if there's, there's sort of a universal thing about a lot of the sort of young surprising teams we've seen in the league this year, it's that. It's, hey, winning is fun. Playing basketball is fun. Playing good basketball, winning is fun. Let's buy into that, not be, well, it's a business and you can't be happy. Yeah, and I mean, you think about a guy like De'Aaron Fox, who has been with the Kings for his whole career, and he's now in his sixth season, and it has not been very fun for him up to this point. Like, (laughs) He's had some good moments, some exciting games, things like that, but for the most part... He's dealt with a lot of misery and getting to be on a good team. Like there's so much joy in it and him and Malik Monk, you know, they go back to playing together in Kentucky and, you know, Fox is a big reason Monk signed with the Kings is because they liked playing together. So like you've got that camaraderie and then you've got, you know, just kind of the, the quick chemistry that developed between Sabonis and Herder. And, you know, just the fact that you've got all these guys accepting their roles, being willing to kind of be part of the whole and, everyone buying in and just enjoying the ride together. And we were talking about it in the, our Kings Herald Slack channel the earlier, t- I think it was today that like Mike Brown is doing all these weird little things and the Kings are doing all these weird little things that if the Kings weren't having such a good season would be extremely corny and like very cringy, you know, like the, the beam and like the defensive player, of the game chain and all this stuff. But when you're winning and it's fun, like everything works and it, it's all, just adds to the fun of the season. And so it's just kind of the, the perfect melding of everything coming together. So tell me about the beam. I mean, I obviously know what it is, but it seems like it's it's sort of something that, you know, a lot of teams do like, well, team wins, they play a song, they do it. It it seems like this has taken on much more of a life of its own than most kind of winning like ceremonial win things. Yeah. And I don't even know how to fully explain it. (laughs) It's just, uh, I think some of it is that, I mean, Sacramento is a one sport town. I mean, obviously people there have their, you know, football allegiances, baseball allegiances, things like that. But in Sacramento, the only actual Sacramento team is the Kings. And so when the Kings are, are doing well, the, the city rallies behind them, extremely well and the city's been waiting for a long time to get excited about the kings again you know there's been a lot of people that would follow but not invest a lot of energy because they weren't worth it or they weren't very good and so the fact that they're together and we have this thing that you can see from all over downtown it's just been a fun uniting thing that you know people are excited and ready to be excited about something and it's just a fun thing that everyone can get behind so I, um, because we kind of came out of the same, you know, field, essentially, uh, uh, Monty McNair and I are, are, are friends and we, we, when he was in town, we, we had lunch, uh, the other day and he was telling me that, that like he, from where he lives outside of town, like his son can see the beam and that's his, his favorite mm-hmm. part of all is it's like, Oh, look, daddy, the meme. Um, and, and. That seems like a that that just seems like a natural thing that you know anyone can see. Hey, that's fun. Well, yeah, and I mean, even if you're not like a serious Kings fan, if you're just someone who's casually into the team or casually aware of them, like if you're out and about, and suddenly there's this big 
purple light beam shooting straight up into the sky. It's like, oh, the Kings won tonight. Like it, it's just kind of a brilliant. It's so simple and it could have gone so bad if the Kings weren't good this year. But the fact that it happened to coincide with a year the Kings are actually doing well, like it, it's just a perfect thing that, you know, kind of helps make people aware that, hey, the Kings are winning again. Oh, okay, the beams lit up again. Like it, it just works really well for, you know, diehards or more casual fans. It, it's a great thing that just kind of shows like, okay, like everyone can see it. Everyone knows now that the Kings won tonight. So I'm going to flip it now. We've, I've, mm-hmm. I've buttered you up. I've buttered you up for, for 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, what okay. were you? What, where, what, are, like, you know, you've mentioned that the, um, the, 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 uh, Lucy with the football thing, which I'm, I'm sure that, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, you know, that, that is a feeling that, that the fan base knows. So, um, what do you, what are you worried that you're going to be kicking at when the, when the football is yanked away and you fall on your butt? I mean, every part of my history covering the team, I mean, I, I've, I've been covering the Kings for like 13 years. So 13 of the 16 years that they've been in this drought, I've been covering the team. So I am conditioned to believe that all good things will come to an abrupt and painful end. And so I see all the different flaws that could be there. And and I try not to just dwell on them, but you know, I see the issues where the Kings interior defense is really a mess at times. Like they really, struggle to stop teams from getting to the rim. Um, they Kings have, you know, somehow created a vendetta to where the entire NBA officials, you know, union is against them in every game. Uh, they, you know, they, <laughs> they have issues where they get cold because they are so reliant on their three point shooting. So there, there's a lot of different things that I see that are not perfect. Now, the encouraging thing is that the Kings have played as well as they have, even with these flaws. Like, they're, these aren't things that it's like, well, if we overcome them, the Kings could be playing well. It's the Kings are playing well, and here's things that they could work on to be even better. Like, they have improved as the season has gone along. Their defense has gotten better, uh, which was a big concern. Because, I mean, if you're just trying to blow people out every single night and giving up 140 points a game while doing it, that doesn't tend to work out very well over the course of 82 games. Uh, so the, the fact that they are improving on defense and, and starting to show some growth in some of these weaker areas is encouraging. But definitely interior defense. I mean, defense as a whole is still going to be a concern. Uh, you know, we've seen kind of in some of these recent losses where the shots just aren't falling. And when you're reliant on the three point shot so much that, you know, an, an off night shooting, suddenly your team's getting blown out by 20. Uh, so those are the things that I see that are concerning. I, I don't think that they're things that are going to necessarily torpedo the whole season at this point. Like I do think the Kings are legitimately going to be a solid team for the remainder of the year. Uh, but those are the big concerns that stand out at this point. The interesting thing from my standpoint, this is something I've kind of been watching all year, is I think the, the sort of the interior defensive problems just sort of are what they are. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they, they play essentially four perimeter guys. And obviously, if there's been one criticism, one legit criticism, kind of consistently for DeMontis Sabonis over his career, it's he is 
not a great defensive player, especially in so far as, as protecting the rim. I mean, he's not, he is not a leaper and he is not, does not have particularly long arms. In fact, he is, yeah, I think he, 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 I don't, I don't think he has a negative wingspan, but I remember from, from the draft, like the, his lack of wingspan was very much noted. Um, that said, aside from that, which is a known weakness, like the structural indicators of their defense have been pretty good all season, just in terms of the shots they give up sort of are the shots you kind of want to give up. And and they've, they've run a little bit of a foul of opponents making a lot of threes on them. Um, despite the fact that they don't actually give up a ton of open threes. Um, so that's that, you know, getting better. Like, I, I'm not sure given their personnel and especially on the interior, I, I don't think that there's a really, a, a, you know, you, there, there's not a top 10, top eight defense in there, but there's an average defense. In right. There. Um, and, and I completely agree with that. And I, and from the perspective of Kings fans, like, you know, we looked at this team at the start of the season and said, on paper, this is a really good offense. It looks like an atrocious defense. If they could be like top 20 in defense, they're probably not in bad shape. Like they'll, they'll at least be okay. And yeah, I mean, if they're around an average defense somewhere in that, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20, that's fantastic given how good their offense is. Uh, that, you know, it, Come playoff time, assuming the Kings actually make the playoffs, like then it becomes a bigger issue, right? Because that's where the the defensive uh, woes really stand out. But you know, just kind of in the the regular season, at least being a, a really good offense with a, a so so to average, but not absolute garbage defense, can be good enough. I mean, where if you're talking about well. You know, listen to yourself. Um, you know that'll be a problem in the playoffs. Um, that's 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 uh, problems problems you would like to have. I think absolutely, that's an excellent problem. I would love to see the way that the Kings, you know, have to learn to adapt and grow and figure out. Okay, what do we do next year in the playoffs to be better than we were this year? Like, that's a great set of problems to have in my book <laughs> compared to what I'm used to. <laughs> so. I want to ask about a few different players. Um, I've been a, a I've been a big fan of De'Aaron Fox's game since going back to Kentucky. Um, I had I'll be honest, I had frankly kind of given up on him developing into more than kind of a pretty good, somewhat above average point guard, starting point guard in the NBA. Um, this year, it does seem like uh, he just he seems back to, you know, beating people with quickness in a way that wasn't necessarily there last year. Um, I mean, some people have talked about maybe he slimmed down a little bit. Maybe he tried to bulk up too much and that, that, that hurt him or, or what, but what have you seen from him this year and how does that compare to, you know, both last year and earlier in his career? Yeah. So Fox and the Kings kind of both separately have come out and said that, they both like kind of both parties agreed he put on too much bulk at the start of last season and it impacted him a lot. It, it kind of limited his speed, which was such a dangerous weapon and such a big part of his game. And, you know, Fox did improve as last season went along and, you know, he kind of shed some of that through playing and kind of getting back to his normal weight. So there was a lot of focus on, you know, 
making sure that his conditioning was good and his strength was good, but that he wasn't bulked up too much coming into this year. And then he spent the entire offseason uh, working very closely with uh, one of Mike Brown's new assistants, Luke Lauks. Um, one of our guys at the Kings Herald, Brendan, uh, Brendan Nunez, wrote a profile where he interviewed Lokes and, and kind of got a little behind-the-scenes look on the things that they worked on and the adjustments they made in Fox's shooting and things like that. And and the shooting has really been the big thing that, kind of to your point, a lot of us had kind of given up. I mean, guys going into a sixth year, you don't expect them to suddenly finally figure out how to shoot. Like, it felt like that ship had maybe kind of sailed a little bit. But, I mean, Fox is shooting so far this season 36.2% from three, which would be far and away a, a career bet. Well, actually, uh, he shot 37.1 in his second year. Um, but he was only doing 2.9 threes a game this year. He's doing 36% on 5.3 three pointers per game. And that has opened up so much because Fox was always good at getting to the rim. He was always a, a decent mid range shooter, but being able to reliably hit the threes to where defenses couldn't just duck under screens, who, you know, they had to kind of play him honest and then he could pick and choose when to blow by him. It's opened up everything on offense. And then, kind of going back to what I said earlier on that Mike Brown's a big difference maker. Mike Brown knew Fox from way, way back, like AEU type of days and knew that Fox was capable of better defense than what he'd been playing in the NBA and really kind of threw the gauntlet down from the moment that Mike Brown got to Sacramento and Fox has been playing much better defense, much more engaged. He's never going to be an elite lockdown, you know, defensive point guard, but he can play really good defense, especially, you know, for a few spot plays and crunch time, those types of things. Like he's capable of playing a lot better defense than what he had shown up to this point. And so getting it on both ends, you know, better shooting, you know, kind of being able to pick apart the defenses from all three levels and then also adding in a little bit of defense on top of that, it's been a huge leap for Fox. So I'm a nerd about these things. Like, can you what were some of the things that they worked on with his shot? So I would have to pull up the article to get it all correct because I, I don't have it all memorized off the top of my head. I know one of it was kind of keeping his elbow level uh, higher. He tended to dip on his elbow level with his shot. Uh, some of it was uh, kind of his shooting form. Fox tended to fall away significantly in his jump shots. So they worked on kind of keeping him a little bit more vertical. And then – there was one of the, there was kind of like three keys that they had and I'm blanking on the third one off the top of my head. But uh, again, it, it was all an article on Kings Herald. Uh, Brennan Nunez wrote for us and it was uh, just a couple of weeks ago that he wrote it. Uh, if we want to keep talking about some other stuff, I can pull it up real quick and see if I can get you those specifics. Uh, so I want to, I, I want to talk a, just a little bit about Harrison Barnes, who yeah. seems like someone who is, who, has almost been been forgotten since he kind of left Golden State to make way for Kevin Durant, but has basically been a um, just a very solid professional for for his career. And it seems like of, of kind of the veteran players in the Kings, it seems like he is the one who has sort of most willingly like subsumed his role to allow for Sabonis to take over the offense, to allow for the the, the Sabonis hurt our two man game to, to work the way it does to, you know, give 
dare fox the the and monk off the bench the space to do things is that it is that is that accurate yeah definitely i mean if we look at kind of overall numbers this year you know we see a little bit of a dip for barnes but some of that is just that he's perfectly fine you know kind of being differential and kind of picking his spots and just being opportunistic um so Part of the challenge, and this is something we talked about a lot over the last couple of seasons in Sacramento, is that Harrison Barnes was often asked to be the second or third best player on the Kings. And Harrison Barnes is a very good and, and often underrated player, but on a good team, he shouldn't be the second or third best player, at least especially at this point in his career. Uh, with this year's Kings, he's regularly, you know, on the floor, he's the, you know, third, fourth, sometimes fifth most important piece on the offense. And that allows him to pick his spots and he can step up and contribute and he can have big nights when he's needed, but he can fly under the radar sometimes and just kind of do little things. And uh, he's a good enough, well-rounded player that he can do all those things. And it, it doesn't, you know, it's not a negative if he's, not putting up 20 points a game, he can contribute in all those different ways. Um, you know, he's never been a great defensive player and, and still isn't, but, you know, he's a, a solid enough team defender, so he's not hurting you in that way on most nights. Um, he can shoot the three, so he can space the floor, although uh, he did start this season in a pretty bad slump, but he's kind of bounced back a little bit since then. Uh, but, you know, he can just kind of pick apart the defense in some different ways and, Defenses have to respect him, and when that's your fourth or fifth fifth best guy on the floor, and the defense still has to respect him, that that's a, a nice asset to have. So his, his this, he's on the last year of his deal, and if if I think if the season was done a different way, um, given his his sort of player archetype, he's probably someone who would be talked about a lot in. Well, trade season is starting. Everyone needs a big wing. Yeah. <laughs> well, but and that's now, been the last couple of years with Barnes. Right. <laughs> Every I'm, year. I'm I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm surprised he's, he's still on the team because I think he's a good player on a reasonable contract at a position of need across the league. And it just seemed like it never really – like it, it, I can't really remember anything anything serious ever really coalescing around him. So there was – a ton of chatter over the last two years around Barnes. And we were surprised each year when the deadline would pass and the Kings hadn't moved him. And I think ultimately what it came down to is that Monty McNair, I mean, some people would have argued at the time and I mean, you might still be able to now, but you could say that he was maybe too stubborn or maybe just had a valuation in his mind and wasn't going to, blink if no one else was willing to meet that, you know, that he kind of had a value in mind for what Barnes would be, was worth to the Kings as a piece. And if he didn't get good value, he wasn't going to trade him. Um, yeah, I mean, he held on to him and it's worked out because he's a really good piece. And it's at the point now where going into the last year of his deal, there's a lot of talk now of, well, do the Kings trade him or, does it even make sense to try to do that now? I mean, he's valuable to the Kings. Like, why would you get rid of him? Like, a lot of teams are looking at him for the exact same reasons that the Kings should keep him. If you're going to be 
a team that wants to be in the playoffs. And it, you know, and he's got a lot of value to a team like that, especially a a very young team overall. He's like the old man veteran of the group, the guy with championship experience and all of that. That you know would really be valuable if the Kings actually do make the playoffs. Uh, so. At this point, I, I I don't know. It's one of those things I'd kind of be surprised. I think the Kings would really have to be blown away to, to move him this year. And it also wouldn't surprise me if they ended up trying to work out an extension. I have no idea if Barnes would even be interested because he's been through a lot of tough years in Sacramento. He might be looking for greener pastures, but given the kind of shift in culture this year, he might be willing to stick around. I don't know. And But it it has been very surprising that he hasn't been moved till now, but it's been one of those things that has worked out well that kind of Monty bet on keeping him and it it's paying off. Sure. Yeah, no, I think that's, I mean, especially, you know, he's, he's 30, which by NBA standards is not ancient, but it's kind of getting there. So then you, you kind of have to, you know, there, there are some tricky decisions to be made about like, you know, fitting in, in timelines uh, and, and, and stuff like that, whether it, what is the best way forward? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, at 30, he's got, I mean, realistically, probably at least one more three or four year contract where he'll be, yeah. a, you know, a good player overall. I mean, his game is not one that relies heavily on athleticism. So I was just gonna say he that, should age he, very well. Yeah. <laughs> He's a smart guy and, you know, plays kind of an old man game already. So he should uh, adapt just fine over the next couple of years, you would think. Something that's, you know, uh, maybe slightly positionally different, but maybe something about very hyped uh, prospects coming out of high school who go to North Carolina. There's 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 a little bit of of Marvin Williams. Like it's it's positionally different but kind of okay where he he was disappointing for where he's drafted but has just been a very solid professional basketball player and will continue to be so for a number of years yeah and i mean really the the disappointment is just that you know we assume everyone taking top 10 should become a superstar and when they just become a really <laughs> good role player we get disappointed in them but yeah i mean he's had a, a really great career and you know, if any team drafting like seventh could be told like, hey, you're going to get this guy who's going to be in the he's league for the median. next 13 years doing this. Yeah. Like, that's a good pick. <laughs> he's this above median outcome for the, the say. Yeah. You're, you're not excited about it. Like if you said, here's what yeah. you have a seventh pick. Here's what you get. You're like, eh, but you're doing better than average. Right. Yeah. He's a solid double. He's just not a home run. <laughs> right. Right. Um. I don't do. I mean, do we need to talk about this the the Sabonis Herder kind of chemistry and how how quickly that developed? I think we I think we do. Herder's a player that that I've always uh, you know I've I've always been a a fan of his game, and I was every year surprised that Atlanta, you know, as desperate as they were for kind of more ball handling and creation, didn't like. Well, let's let him have, have you know share some of those responsibilities. Because that was one of the reasons, the things you, you liked about him, you know, coming into the league was the fact that he wasn't just, you know, a standstill shooter. He was a guy who had a little bit of something in, in the pick and roll, who, who could pass the ball a little bit. Um, and it seems like he's finally getting to do just just do more stuff with the Kings than he ever was with the Hawks. Yeah, I always liked 
Herter when he was with Atlanta, and I was excited when the Kings traded for him, and he has exceeded all my expectations so far. I mean, oh, for like sure. you said, the, the the immediate chemistry with Sabonis, just those two connected right away on kind of the, the different ways that they work in the pick and roll and the dribble handoffs and all that. And it, it's really fun to, when those two get going. Uh, the other thing that was huge about the Herder trade is just that, you know, for a team that spent so many years kind of playing catch up from bad draft picks where they didn't have the talent base get for the Kings to add a talent like Kevin Herter while not giving up any present assets, right? They traded a protected future first and that was it. They gave up no other depth or anything like that. It immediately made everything else in the kind of pecking order and the depth chart kind of slide into a more natural place. You know, like, like we talked about with Harrison Barnes, suddenly he's like one less rung as far as what level of your best player does he need to be? Uh, you know, Malik Monk, who was a really exciting signing, but you're like, okay, well, if, if, is that the answer at starting shooting guards? Like, okay, well, no, now he's your super sixth man. That's a perfect role for him. Like, so the, the herder acquisition really kind of slid a lot of things into place and, really kind of helped reset the talent level as a whole for the roster. But I think you, you, you nailed on like you're, you're, if you're anytime you add a good player for nothing that you're currently using in, in the, 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 you know, in, in the regular rotation, um, that's helpful, <laughs> especially yeah. if you have <laughs> like a starting level player who is on a, what in, you know, in a, soon to be like much rising cap, even in today's environment, like a very reasonable contract. Like that's a, that's just a big team building win. I don't, I don't think there's, there's, there's any way around that. Yeah. I mean, Herder is under contract for, I'm trying to pull it up here real quick. Three more years after this. Yeah. Three more years (laughs) at like 17 or so 16, 17 per, which is, you know, Starting wings like a wing and a starting wing in free agency this summer is going to get 20, 22, 24. Like, not even we're not even talking all star level, we're talking like competent starting wings are going to be. Yeah, this the, year he's at 14 and a half, and he in, in three seasons from now he'll be just under 18 a year. I mean, it's a amazing value to contract given his even just based on his current production. Like I said, if he's in free agency this summer, like an unrestricted free agent, he'd go for quite a bit more. So I mean, it's a fantastic contract value, but even just beyond that, uh, just on the floor value, kind of what you were saying before, just all the different things he can do. He is capable of creating off the dribble and, you know, breaking down a defense, but he also can be the guy who just keeps a defense honest with his spacing and shooting. Like it, it's just a perfect fit. And I mean, I, again, uh, experience as a Kings fan has taught me not to get too excited too quickly when it comes to future protected firsts, because that has <laughs> haunted us in the past. But at the same time, like just looking at the current production, Versus a, a future first that's well protected, like you know, it feels like an amazing value and a, a really big win as far as a trade. And it's been a long time since the Kings had a a hands down win as far as a trade went. <laughs> sure. Uh. Well. Okay. You said a hands down win. I think we. We. You know. Um. Let's get into it. I know where you're yeah. going. 
Yeah, no, it's it's um I will freely admit being among the many who was like, what in the actual hell are they doing with the 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 Halliburton trade? Um I still kind of as it's tough because you know, you do have to do some some discounting of what, what Tyrese Halliburton is doing now because I I don't think he becomes the the sort of ball dominant scoring and distribution threat if he's still playing alongside De'Aaron Fox. So you do have to, you know, discount that a little bit. Like it's, it's obviously you don't want to make the comparison. It's a different level of player, but James Harden doesn't become an MVP if he stays and is the sixth man in Mm -hmm. Oklahoma city. So the comparing the version of Halliburton that they would have had or whatever they would have, whatever downgrade they would have, had had they just chosen to trade Fox instead. Um, even on that basis, though, you still, you're like, Yee. but Sabonis has been so good. Especially, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's it's possible. I mean, I, I, I think we're entering territory where it's possible to just say it's a win-win, but given, given especially how much, you know, all the draft nerds and, and, you know, myself included, liked Halliburton and feel vindicated by him. And, and you know, you this Kings traded him and now look at what he is. It's still, it's it, it seems like everyone can be happy about this. So the, the thing is, when they traded him, I mean, I have always liked Sabonis. I, I've been a fan of his kind of throughout his career. He was one well, of the I guys was, that I was saying the play. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like his game. And so... I was always kind of like, no, it'd be great if the Kings, you know, especially when it looked like Indiana was going to break up, you know, the Sabonis Turner combo. Honestly, I would have been happy with either player. Like, I liked them both. And it, it seemed like a situation where both those guys were kind of limited by each other, which funny enough, I mean, the Kings were in the same situation when Jaron Fox was out for a stretch last season before the trade. And it was just Halliburton running the show. He was putting up huge numbers, not quite as, what he's doing in Indiana. He's definitely improved with being in that role full time, but very similar production level. I mean, we knew Halliburton was capable of this and we also knew how good Fox could be, but it seemed clear to, and I understand that most people outside of Sacramento weren't watching Kings games on a regular basis. I don't blame them, (laughs) you know, but it was clear to anyone watching on a regular basis that Fox and Halliburton, as good as they both were, and it's not that there was any animosity, but the two of them could not be maximized alongside each other. There was just too much overlap in you know what they needed to do to be successful. And I think if it was on the table that the Kings could have traded Fox instead of Halliburton, they maybe would have. I don't know for sure. This isn't like source. This is just me guessing, but... I'm guessing they probably would have, but Fox's trade value wouldn't have landed a player of Sabonis's caliber. So the gamble is that, yes, Halliburton is a lower cost because he's on a rookie contract. He's got team control, all these different things that make him a quote unquote more valuable asset. But at the end of the day, you look at how Fox has played this year without Halliburton and he's taken a leap you know, Halliburton's taking a leap on his own. Like both players are elevated by not playing next to each other. And Sabonis has been great. And I mean, I think it is a win-win, but 
people don't like to just do that because that's not good for sports talk shows and stuff. But uh, I think it really be has been. I think it has benefited both teams so much that it's like, why does this need to be a winner loser thing? This is exactly what trades are supposed to do is help everyone. <laughs> like it's been a, a good thing for both teams. And um, I've, it, I was shocked when they made the move, but at the same time, like I've been thrilled with the results, like, and there's still plenty of time it could come back to haunt us. I'm a Kings fan, so I, I am conditioned to always see how things could end up being bad in the long run, and I'm not doing like a victory lap 33% of the way through the first full season with Sabonis. But at the same time, like right now, I'm really happy. <laughs> so another move that, that I at the time was not a fan of, and it's still way too early to – feel one way or another about it anyway is Jaden Ivey was was my favorite player in this draft um and the Kings obviously didn't go that direction um how did they, so without you know I, I'm again I can't say that I'm right or wrong about that that preference yet because it's still way too early and I think both have shown if if one was a fan of either Keegan Murray or Jaden Ivey, I think both have shown more than enough to say, see, that's what I was talking about. Um, so from your standpoint, was that, were you a, a fan of the pick at the time? I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, fact check you. I don't have receipts, so you can tell me anything right now. Um, but were you, were, were you a fan <laughs> of that pick at the time? And, you know, how do, how do you, how would you evaluate, you know, what he's done so far and what his ultimate kind of, uh, again, ceiling is is tough, but like, where, what kind of, what level of player do you think he ends up as? So I was a huge Jaden Ivey fan, a and full disclosure, like I don't watch much college basketball. I kind of start paying attention on the tournament. Um, I go back and try to watch kind of clips and stuff like that. But I, 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 I'm not a college guy and I'm not a scout. I have gotten so many things wrong that I don't get too invested in it. Like I, I, I trust our, we've got a, a really great, uh, draft guy who writes for our site, Bryant West, who, uh, watches college basketball obsessively and also just is also a Kings fan. And so he writes about, you know, draft profiles and the, or they're all kind of geared around how guys would fit with the Kings. Um, I was a big fan of Jaden Ivey. But it, it kind of went to the idea of, you know, Keegan Murray being the more known, whereas Jaden Ivey having more of the kind of upside and potential and the value of, you know, scoring, you know, points, creating guards in the league right now. I mean, at the same time, though, there's a lot of value in big forwards who can shoot and space the floor and, and do all the things that Keegan Murray does. So I was very much at the point of the draft. I was like, I'm kind of good with either one. I wasn't going to be mad with either player, but I said many times and, and I'll stand by it, even though I'm perfectly fine with how it's worked out. If it was up to me at the time, I probably would have gone with Ivy. Now that being said, watching how the Kings play this year, I don't think Ivy would have been a good fit at all. And I think it would have recreated some of the same issues that they had with like Fox and Halliburton. So I think that that was probably a big factor. And, you know, we, we tend to beat up on teams that draft for fit versus talent or upside. Right. But 
I think there is something to be said, especially when you have certain other kind of core pieces that you're trying to make work that you don't put everyone in a position to fail because the Kings have drafted so many players over the years and put them in positions to fail that I've seen how that can go wrong too. So I think if you're kind of valuing two guys very similarly, I don't think that it's bad to use fit as a tiebreaker. And I, I think that that's likely what it came down to with picking Keegan Murray versus saying we hands down think Keegan Murray's better. I think is more, both these players are really good and, and have a lot of potential and Keegan Murray's a little bit better fit. So he's going to be better optimized and, and be in a position to succeed more here and help the team succeed more. Sure. Um, kind of last the, the, the sort of the, I don't know what, if it's a million dollars, how, how many, how many dollars is, 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 is making the playoffs or what the ceiling is ultimately for this team, whatever that number is, pick that number, that, that question is, is kind of the big one is, you know, on one hand, balancing your, your, uh, sort of joy again at how this season has gone versus the, uh, well-earned skepticism of what is yet to come. Like, mm-hmm. what would your sort of median kind of prediction slash expectation for where the Kings ultimately end up this year? So, based on what I've seen, and I'm, it, it's the old, I'm ready to be heard again, you know, no <laughs> doubt about it. Like, but based on the fact that the early season schedule for the Kings was much tougher. You know, at least on paper, right? When we were looking ahead, we were looking at a much tougher early season schedule compared to later in the season. Um, and given how well the Kings have played and the fact that they do seem to continue to be growing and developing and learning, you know, it's a new system, a new coach, new pieces. There, there's still adjustments happening. So there's definitely room for continued improvement. Uh, I believe, I think the Kings are going to make the playoffs. Now, they may end up being, you know, somewhere in the play in bracket. I think that there is at least some shot as crazy as it sounds. There's a shot. They end up where they don't even have to go through the plan. I mean, right now the West, the top eight seeds are separated by three and a half games. No one has clearly emerged. I mean, the Kings as of right now, I haven't refreshed the standing since we started recording, but uh, they going into tonight, they were seventh, but, a game or two difference and they could be in third or four. I mean, the, the West is wildly changing standings game by game right now. And and no one's really emerging. I think the Kings are legitimately going to make the actual playoffs, not just the play in. I do believe that this is the year that they're going to be able to end the drought. And do you you think that's via the play in or, they pass just looking at who's ahead of them. You'd have to say the most likely team for them to pass would be Portland, which. Yeah. And I mean, Portland's good. And I mean, they've been playing well, even with Lillard missing time. I mean, I don't know who they would pass that. That's the tricky part. But at the same time, like, you know, two months ago we were saying, well, there's no way there's going to be better than the Warriors or the Timberwolves or the Lakers or the Mavericks. And they're ahead of all those teams right now. Like, well, you, I think we just <laughs> said they would be better than the Lakers, but you know, well, 
not all people are as wise as you, Seth. So there, <laughs> there were many people questioning how the Kings could possibly be better than the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, very last question. Then this is, this is, I, I honestly, I hate asking this because I think that, you know, getting to enjoy this part of a team is, 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 you know, I don't want to say as good as it gets, but it might be, uh, I was, oh, the we, rise we, is the fun part, yeah. right? <laughs> no, we, we, no, we, we, we talked about this a little on, on, on when we recorded Nerder earlier is, is that, and it was with respect to the Kings is the most fun season. I think that like, it's not like I had left the box by the time they, they won the title, but you know, people who were there through that sort of whole run, I feel like obviously winning the title is the peak, the best, whatever. I think for the, from the enjoyment over the course of the season standpoint, that first year we were really good. I think most people would say that was the most fun. And so that's, yeah. you know, I, this is not a, the Kings are not a 60 win team like that was, but still given where they're coming from, it, it's a lot of fun. No. Uh, no, I I completely agree. The the rise, the the sudden leap, you know, the exceeding of expectations, that's a way more fun, especially regular season experience than you are supposed to be a really great team and now every game is a challenge to whether or not you can live up to that. Like that's a lot more stressful than what Kings fans are getting to enjoy right now. I completely agree with you. So that said, <laughs> Um, I, I got a question in a chat the other day about like, what, uh, what do the Kings, do the Kings have a pathway to being a contending level team as presently constructed? And before I talk about how I answered that, I'll, I'll, I'll pose that to you. And again, having just said that I kind of hate doing this to you, but I'm going to do it to you anyway. (laughs) So just as far as kind of what is the pathway? Yeah, exactly. To being like a top, you know, a top three seed in the West over the sometime over the next two, three, four seasons. So despite my years of being ready and afraid of the worst from the Kings, uh, at my core, I'm, I'm always an optimist. So I always see kind of the, the path to success. And the Kings have a couple tools at their disposal right now. Uh, which is they've got Rashawn Holmes, who is basically not part of the rotation at all on a decent sized contract. And, you know, that gives them some options for trades. Terrence Davis has been productive, is on a reasonable contract, is kind of a, a fringe rotation player. So they've got some pieces, especially from a salary perspective that, you know, could, could work and, you know, maybe some team decides that Rashawn Holmes is just being misused because he was a very productive center, you know, not that long ago and he's not that old. And, you know, so not saying you get anything amazing for him, but the Kings have pieces they could move for like salary matching and things like that without totally wrecking their core rotation. Um, Davion Mitchell, as much as his defense has been huge as part of the bench unit, uh, I think he's a, a valuable asset. So they have some pieces combined with salaries that they could move without breaking up kind of their starting unit. Um, the other piece is just if we're thinking about over the next couple of years, 
Darren Fox is just 25 years old. Sabonis is just 26. Herder's 24. Malik Monk's 24. Keegan Murray's 22. Their core base, like the, the key pieces of the roster, are still in an age where they can continue to improve. And even if it's incrementally, I mean, they're already good players and incremental improvements put them in a, a pretty elite tier. So those are kind of the two different paths. Like there, there's flexibility. You know, the, the Kings long-term cap isn't a disaster or anything like that. Um, once they convey the first round pick for the herder trade, then that opens up some things for the future as well, as far as being able to move future draft assets and, and they could always renegotiate protections and things like that to open up possibilities. So I think they have avenues. Um, I don't expect them to make a massive swing this year, but especially as we get into the off season and, and things like that, I think that there's definitely still avenues they have to continue to improve this team. So I, my answer to the question was basically it's it, Fox has to become a top 25 ish player and Murray's got to develop into kind of an, an all-star level wing. And that's that's sort of table stakes to getting there and then kind of make good moves around that, which mm-hmm. possible, but I mean, unlikely, but at the same time, any any team that is not yet a contender, like more likely than not that they won't ever become one. So it's not like a, I, I not necessarily being like harsh to say that. Um, at oh, the no, same and, time. And, oh, and I agree so with like, you. I mean, the 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 window for like, elite year over year title contender is you find a top five player, right? Like that's so hard to, to actually pull off. Like most teams never will. Um, even really good teams that, you know, you're kind of hoping you just have a puncher's chance on a, an off year and you make a run. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, there's all of that, but at the same time, I mean, Fox has been in a little bit of a slump because he was dealing with a bug and then kind of a, a foot injury and, and some things. So his numbers don't look as good right now as they did a couple of weeks ago. But um, when Fox is playing his best, I absolutely think he's capable of being a top 20 player in this league. I, I would argue he's there when he's playing well. The issue has been doing it consistently over the course of a season. And, and if he can do that, that pushes the Kings to a, another tier, I think. Sure. Um, it's okay if you disagree. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 no, I, I, I don't, I don't disagree. It's just I, I, I also, I mean, frankly, you know, given what I said before, I asked the now, now tell me why all your dreams are going to get dashed. Question. <laughs> this is I've, I have. Um, I'm a Kings fan, man. I could take yeah. it. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm just sort of as I've become, as I have moved away from, you know. It become it probably get gotten a more holistic view of the NBA as an entertainment as a, as a TV show rather than a pure competition. Like, okay, if they're if 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 the if the if the long suffering fans get three or four good seasons of of winning playoff level teams that might you know that might make the second round a couple times and you know even. And if, if they have a puncher's chance of something else, like that's 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 pretty good and okay, and there's nothing wrong with that. So it's not even that if like the okay, well the 
over the next five years, they're not going to be able to match the Celtics. Like, okay, but that's, if, if that's the goal for everybody, then like we've got 24 too many teams <laughs> and that, that's worse for everybody. So I don't think that's a, so anyway, um, no, I mean, realistically, the Kings have spent the last Kings fans have spent the past 16 years living on the memory of four good years that were preceded by like another 15 terrible years. Like the history in Sacramento has basically been four good years and then a bunch of crap. So we'll take the good years where we can get them. And I know that once you've been at that level and just kind of fallen short for a couple of years, like, you know, fan patience starts to wane and you get kind of the Portland situation where being a second round exit every year is not good enough type of thing. And people get mad and all that. And you start blowing up perfectly good teams, but we've well, got a ways before we get there. Yeah. <laughs> we, we got a ways before we get to there. We'll, we'll deal with those upsetting things when, when they're actual issues for us. Like, like yes, I can wish that upon you to be mad at a second round, <laughs> a second round exit. Yeah. Oh, what a time that would be. Yeah. Oh no. Um, so <laughs> Before I let you go, is there anything uh, you guys have coming up at the King's Herald or anything else that you want to uh, to plug where, where people can find you? I mean, biggest thing is just uh, kingsherald.com. We're, we're a fully independent website. Uh, we're, you know, fully supported by, you know, basically <laughs> ads on the pages and the, and then, you know, our, our Patreons and, and our T-shirt sales that we can come up with shirt designs and things like that. But uh, we we cover you know all the all the games. We've got people in the arena doing more traditional media coverage with, commentary. Yeah. What's that? The shirt with a purple LED, like in the like almost like a Tony Stark, but purple. In the <laughs> I, free, I don't know if our for you. I I don't know if our shirt uh, merchandise provider can actually support that, but I'll look into it because that's not a bad idea. <laughs> but we've got lots of light the beam merch that has been doing very well. So uh, that's a kingsherald.com slash store uh, for any of those. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we, we try to cover the game in kind of all the different ways. We've got traditional media people in the arena for home games. Uh, we've got just kind of more of the fan perspective commentary. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned before, we've got you know, interviews with coaching staff, things like that. So we, we try to do a little bit of everything. We, also try not to take any of it too seriously. We try to have some fun. And one of the nice things about being fully independent is we don't have anyone telling us that we can't do silly things. And we like to do those from time to time too. So, uh, Such as the, uh, the, the light, the beam, uh, gift tweet, tweet storm after every victory, which is uh, reason enough to follow you. I mean, we've been doing uh gif celebrations after wins for like, 10 years. It's just now that there's enough of them for people to notice. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yes. We, uh, we definitely have some fun and uh, we also have a thing that uh, it's an acronym and I I can't remember exactly what it stands for, but uh, we have what's called operation McNair that started after uh, started last season when the Kings were very bad uh, where after each loss, we pick a local charity and, everyone donates on behalf of the King's loss and supports local community efforts and things like that. So uh, we, we do a bunch of things like that as well. Well, very cool. Well, Greg, thanks for, thanks for joining me. Thanks. Thanks for taking some time in your evening and uh, appreciate you stopping by. Thanks for having me. Yep. Folks. Thanks for listening. I am back tomorrow with uh, probably a more dour 
view of, of Bay Area basketball with uh, Andy Lou Samus Fondiari from the Light Years podcast going to come commiserate about the, the broken winged warriors. Um, so join me tomorrow afternoon for that. 